Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our selection today could not need more love. This has got to be on my list of one of the all-time most underrated, not just horror movies, but movies in general. It's one that I am so incredibly high on, and it's one that I don't think many people know and even if they do know it, I'm not entirely sure they really understand how, what happened in this movie and how well it's done. It's one of these movies I fully, fully believe you have to see twice to truly understand and love because it's so well done. But I don't. There's one key scene. We will talk about it as we get in there. There's one key scene that I think prevents it from being an all-time great. And the movie I am talking about is the 2005 horror movie, The Skeleton Key, starring Kate Hudson. Uh, this is number two. I'm doing all horror movies this month, all scary movies. This is the second one I'm doing. And this one, really, so near and dear to my heart, this movie. This is one I'm pimping out to everybody all the time. Uh, dying to talk about it. Um, my co-host for this one, he is a second-time staff picker. He was on my uh, Jackie Brown podcast, which was one of the better dis discussions I've ever had about a movie, I have to say. That's a really good episode if you want to go hear a really uh, well-done discussion of a movie. Uh, he's back here for The Skeleton Key. I specifically picked him because he was very good on the first time, and this is a very tricky movie to discuss. So I'm so happy to have him back. Welcome back, Will Holston. Thank you for having me back, Mario. I am happy to do part two of our series of me reviewing movies that I'm probably not the best person to review for certain reasons, but uh, this should be an interesting discussion nonetheless. So tell, remind people a little bit who you are, why you're on Staffix, why are you a good person to talk about movies? Um, so my name is Will, as you said, I live in Dallas. Uh, I am a movie theater projectionist slash dog walker. Um, but yeah, I spend a lot of time reading about and watching movies as a kid. And so I feel like I developed a uh, perspective over that time. If that answers your question, I don't know. <laughs> it does. Obviously, yeah, you are around movies even more than me because you work in a movie theater. But I just specifically like the way you are able to phrase your thoughts and sum up things in a podcast form. I will say Will's first episode was one of the least edited episodes of all time. Like it's almost verbatim, the episode I put out. That was almost our raw audio. So I'm just so excited to have you back on this one. Perfect. Well, we have nowhere to go but down, so let's do it. <laughs> I've built you up high enough, and now Icarus is going to suffer a fall. Yeah, you know, we had one of the best episodes, and now it's time for one of the worst. So, The Skeleton Key. Tell us your history with this movie. Okay, so I remember when this movie was coming out that there was a lot of press about it on, like, Extra and Access Hollywood, those types of shows, where they were interviewing Kate Hudson, and the big story around the movie was that it was one of the last movies to shoot in New Orleans before Hurricane Katrina hit, which was very interesting because there are places and neighborhoods in this movie that just don't exist or don't look the same anymore. So I found that really interesting. So I saw this in theaters when it came out in, I think, 2005, and I really enjoyed it. And it's a movie that stuck with me, and I find myself thinking about quite a bit. 
So you really enjoyed it the first time, because that's my argument, is that I think you need two viewings of this to really appreciate it. But right off the bat, it grabbed you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – how old was I in 2005? I probably wasn't thinking that much about it, like paying that much attention to like the intricacies of the plot and the uh, things that are happening that are being set up. Um, so I just enjoyed it on kind of like a mood level and an environment level because sometimes that's enough for me if the movie just makes me feel something or it's got an atmosphere that I like. Um, so that's really what I liked the first time that I saw it. Okay, yeah. it's My history on this one is that I – I have a black hole, and I've mentioned this before. My wife and I were raising kids between 2000 and about 2006, and we didn't see any adult movies. It's all Disney crap and all that stuff. I'm, I'm sorry, Disney masterpieces. Don't, yeah. don't piss off the Disney people. <laughs> I know. I don't want to get protested. So <laughs> in my attempt to not get protested, we're going to talk about a racist voodoo movie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so I missed every movie between 2000 and 2006. So I missed The Skeleton Key, which was 2005. And I'm just, you know, people who know this show know I'm forever out there looking for underrated movies and movies that, uh, that like, one person loves and nobody else has ever heard of. And I'm, I'm always looking on horror movie message boards. And this is one that used to come up a lot, The Skeleton Key. And I'm like, I've never heard of that. What is that? And so I just kind of gave it a, a look. I rented it from Netflix one night, and I watched it. And we're sitting there, my wife, my daughter, and me are watching it. I'm like, that was either either a masterpiece or it was terrible. I can't tell. I'm like, because I know what the ending was, but I'm not entirely sure they stuck the ending. So I went back and I watched it again. And the second time it all clicked. I'm like, oh, my God, this is one of the greatest horror movies ever. How come people don't don't talk about it? So I've been on a crusade to sell this movie for about five years now since I first saw it. So if you miss movies from 2000 to uh, 2006, that means you miss like the great ones like Garden State and... <laughs> And all of Kate Hudson's uh, filmography, all of her romantic comedies that led up to this? Yeah, I will be the first to admit I'm not fully up to date on the Kate Hudson oeuvre other than uh, Almost Famous. That's about it. Nothing, not even Lay Divorce? Man. No, yeah, I miss it. I was just, we were, <laughs> yeah. we were watching The Wiggles. That's what we were doing. The Wiggles and like uh, Willy Wonka over and over. Yeah, The Wiggles and Skeleton Key have a lot in common. They're both horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this movie, I am really, I really, really want to get this across to people. This is a fantastic horror movie that will lodge in your brain and it will get in your psyche. And again, it's not super jump scary and it's not gory. It's not a modern horror movie by any stretch of the imagination. But boy, does it pack a punch if you really get what's going on. And that's the huge, the hugest asterisk I could possibly give. If you know what's going on, you will love it. So uh, that's that's the one thing I want to delve into before we, or the one thing I want to get across before we delve into the storyline here. Yeah, and just to piggyback off what you said about, um, like, there really is no, there's not a lot of, like, fat on this movie. And by that, I mean there's not a lot of wasted time. Uh, it pretty much... It just moves from scene to scene to scene really quickly. And then the ending, the last 40 minutes, I would say, it's pretty much nonstop action, uh, horror, like scene to scene to scene, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. It's very quickly paced. It's very fleet, mm -hmm. which I appreciate. Yeah, which is funny because it's still almost a two-hour movie, but it moves yes. quickly. Once it gets going, it moves quickly. And, yeah, that, that ending, that is one that you're going to talk about. And I, I will – I don't want to spoil this too much. I'm hoping we're going to get to a certain point in this movie. We have to cross a line where we spoil it because this is one you really want to experience. But I got to say, this movie reminds me so much of another Staff Picks Mario favorite, Arlington Road. Now, do you know Arlington Road? 
I don't think so. I would, after this podcast, immediately watch Arlington Road. It's maybe the best movie I've done on Staff Picks, and I love it so much, and it's very similar to this one, and it's so similar that I saw who wrote that movie, and it's written by Aaron Kruger, the same guy who wrote Arlington Road. So I just want to throw that out there, that he has two of the best movies I've done on Staff Picks. This guy, he's he's a Staff Picks legend. Well, then you gotta do his whole like filmography. You gotta get the Transformers movies in there, and <laughs> Scream Three, and all the Ring movies. <laughs> get the, the real bad reception here, Will. <laughs> I, can't, I can't hear you. <laughs> I think it, I think I heard you say Seven Days, but maybe that maybe that was just cutting out. Yeah. Okay. So we will go into this movie in a second, and there's a there's another very famous, very acclaimed horror movie that came out much later. That is very similar to this one, and I don't want to mention its name because it'll spoil what's going on in this movie, but we'll talk about that later. Now, Will, before we jump into this, uh, there's two things I want to talk about. First one, let's. I want to jump right into the most uncomfortable subject possible. Perfect. Is this movie racist? Hmm. I feel like that's kind of hard to discuss without going into spoilers mm-hmm. in terms of my feelings on it. I will say... It is very 2005 in the way that it is a little bit careless and not thoughtful about the plot and some of the things that are involved in it. I think if this movie were to be made today, there would be a lot of differences and the villains of the movie would be a little more nuanced maybe Um, and there would be maybe be a little more careful consideration of the actual religious practices, I would say. Um, But I mean, this is 2005 exploitation, so it's kind of, it is what it is. I will say, I don't know if it's racist. Of course, that's not really my place to make that determination. I'll just say for me, I found it interesting in comparing it to how that movie that you were referring to addresses similar issues and what that can tell us about how Hollywood filmmaking has changed and how it has become more considerate. Let me say that. Okay. That was a very safe answer. I could hear you weighing each word carefully. (laughs) (laughs) Got my thesaurus out trying to pick the right words. Just to follow up on what Will's saying, and again, I'm really trying not to spoil this movie, but I will tell you it is about African religions, uh, specifically voodoo and hoodoo. And it's a maybe not not the most nuanced treatment of it. Although I don't I don't think it has bad intentions. It's just the typical I believe white American filmmakers just treating everything in these African religions as being creepy and dark. Yeah, it doesn't have it doesn't have bad intentions. It just kind of has it's not intentional. Is what I would say. Like it it's not it's not really considering things as much as maybe they would if it were to be made today. <laughs> the way that I could phrase it is if if you're going to make a voodoo omelet, you're probably going to break some eggs along the way. <laughs> That's yeah. how I would phrase it. That it's, it's very hard to make this movie and make it super authentic towards hoodoo. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that's going to be impossible. I will say there was a couple of points in this movie where it was like veering into live and let die territory. And don't get me wrong. I love live and let die. But it's that's like a total absurd, like 70s black exploitation voodoo, like people calling each other honky and stuff. Um, so there was points where I was like, this is a little live and let die. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a tough um, 
egg to crack, as it were, if you were going to make a hoodoo movie. Yeah, that's what this movie needed was more Kate Hudson calling people honky. Well, it, I mean, it could have happened. Spoiler. All right. So I will give a little prep for this movie, and this is kind of off the subject, but I just thought people might find this story interesting, is that in preparation for this podcast, I go down to the south a lot for work. I don't, I'm don't. i in California. There's no voodoo, hoodoo, any of this stuff out here, not that I know of anyway. But just a lot of crystals. Just a lot of crystals. Yeah, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, the Lost Boys up in Santa Cruz. That's a crystal territory. But uh, so I go down to Florida a lot for work and I wanted to find some kind of uh, voodoo or hoodoo store down there. And I, I I couldn't specifically find one when I was there for work back in June, but I did find a Santeria Botanica, which it's not hoodoo. It's not voodoo, but it's along the same lines. It's a lot of the same gods and stuff. And so I actually went in there and I talked to the lady in the Santeria Botanica about all sorts of theology and stuff and, you know, how it relates to voodoo and how it relates to hoodoo. And it was one of the most interesting two hours of my life, I clearly have no business being there, even knowing what I'm talking about. I'm an atheist to start with. So I have no idea. But she was very insistent on saying that, you know, Santeria is a Cuban religion and it's kind of an offshoot of voodoo, which is more African. And she was saying it's not really a scary thing. It's not black magic. It's not witchcraft. It's just their religions they brought over to the U.S. And then the white people basically said, because this didn't come from us, this is pagan, this is terrible. And so white people have tried to demonize this stuff for years, even though she pointed out a lot of the Santeria gods are the same gods in Christianity, which are the same gods in voodoo. They're just called different names. So she's like, it's the same thing. But she did point out. Voodoo is bad. Santeria is good. We're the stuff that stops voodoo. So she was very insistent on that. And then did, I mean, did she touch on, I guess I probably should have looked this up, like what are the differences between voodoo and hoodoo, which is really what is yeah. happening in this movie? We didn't really talk about that, but the movie specifies that, that hoodoo is an offshoot of voodoo that was basically brought over by the slaves and it became American folk magic. So it's an offshoot of a religion, but it's almost more of a magic. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But to, uh, to go back to what you were saying, I found something uh, interesting when I was looking it up, there is several times in this movie where there's a record mm -hmm. playing that has a hoodoo incantation in it, supposedly. But if you listen to what is being said in those, um, incantations it's more of a a cry for freedom it's sort of a prayer to god so yeah that's just to back up what you're saying where it's 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 really just a religion that we've demonized yeah. in certain ways <laughs> i'm glad you brought that up because i was just looking at the youtube comments right before we did this podcast and to give away a little of the movie there's a, a famous record in this movie made by a guy named papa justify it's a old hoodoo witch spell and it's put on vinyl and if you listen, listen to the words, what Will said, it's really just like an old slave prayer. Like, deliver us from this horrible life we've been given. Please give us our freedom. Please give us, you know, love God. It's a very positive, real prayer that they demonized in the movie and made a creepy hoodoo spell. So further murkying the waters over if this movie is racist or not. Yeah, it's, it's kind of just another uh, drop in the bucket for me of how there's kind of two or three different perspectives happening in this movie and they don't quite decide on one um but it's really interesting to see all of those perspectives bumping up against each other 
let's dive into this movie because again this is i i really hope people are listening to this podcast even though you haven't seen this movie yet i'm, I'm guessing listen, listen to us talk about it and listen to us gush and i will i will sell you on this one i guarantee it You'll cast a spell. Yes, I will cast a a conjuration of adoration for this movie. Perfect. Okay, so the movie starts again. We're in 2005, and our our hero is her name is Carolyn, played by Kate Hudson, and she in the movie is a former rock and roll girl. She used to be a party girl, traveled around with like she was a groupie, and she traveled around with music groups. That's what we're led to believe. And now she's kind of settled down. She has been through a trauma. We learn that her father has died, and she, because she had such a traumatic experience with her dad dying, she likes to ease people into death. That's what she likes to do now. She's become a home hospice nurse, and that's where we're going to go here. At the start of the movie, what, she's in a hospice, and her, her most recent patient has died. Yes, she is reading him a passage from Treasure Island, and he dies right in the middle of her reading, I think from like the fourth chapter. So her patient dies, and it's sad because that's what she does. She she ushers these people into death, and then she wants to know, you know, my, my patient just died. Can we contact the family? And the, the lady who runs the hospital says, well, his family wants nothing to do with him. He has no kin. Just basically toss his, his personal effects out into the trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Carolyn's like, that sucks. That is a horrible thing for to happen to a person after they die. And she what, goes out to the dumpster, and all she sees is all the boxes of all the dead people. They just had their stuff thrown out, and it's it's depressing. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's sort of it's a recurring motif in this movie is like the the possessions of people and what we do with them and where we store them and how we treat them and it's a, what is important about preserving things from the past. And yeah, so she takes this man's box with her as she quits her job and goes off on the adventure of this movie. <laughs> yeah, she is she is casting her fate to the wind, and she wants a new job. She doesn't want to work in a hospice anymore. So she wants to be a home health nurse. She figures, if I'm not working for this big bureaucratic hospital, you know, I got a much better chance of making a difference. And she, what, looks in the one ads, and then, and again, we're, oh, and we're Louisiana, I should have mentioned. We're in New Orleans. That's fairly exp- important here. And what, yeah. what does she find, Will? What kind of job? She finds a job at a plantation that's kind of in the middle of nowhere where a husband and wife are living. They're elderly. He has just had a stroke, and he is not verbal, and he can't really move around that much. Uh, and he is on his last legs, and he's on the way out. And his wife is very stern and very not very welcoming, we should say. But yeah, she is hired to look after him in his last days. She is one of the many nurses who have gone through the house. A lot of them have quit, um, and she's not sure why they've quit at the very beginning. It's really interesting this movie is called The Skeleton Key, and I didn't really catch that until my second or third viewing, is that every little part of this movie is important to the payoff later. It's very important because a skeleton key, if people don't know that term, it's a key that unlocks any door in a house. It's the master key. And like, uh, yeah, like what's going to happen here is every little bit of dialogue, every interchange Carolyn's going to have with somebody is very important to the payoff. So we have to be very uh, important. We have to be very careful how we discuss this, Will. Yeah. And and even conversations that are had about her are also very important. And they, they mean a lot different things when you 
look at them in hindsight. Yes, and that perfectly backs up what I'm saying. You have yeah. to see this movie twice because then you really catch the meaning of these sentences. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, Carolyn has taken a job out at this plantation, this old mansion out in the, uh, what is the parish? Terrebonne Parish? Out in the middle of nowhere in the swamps? Yes, and I, I think that's what it was called. And I believe that those swamps were CGI created because there are no swamps <laughs> yes. right there, which was interesting. One thing I'll say about the plantation, which is interesting, it's, the, it's called the Felicity Plantation, and it's actually used a lot in film and television, and it is the main plantation that was used in 12 Years a Slave as well. Do you think there's a real voodoo or a hoodoo room up in the attic? I didn't catch that part <laughs> in 12 Years a Slave. That might have been on the editing room floor. Um, they might have cut that when they thought they had a chance to win some Oscars, <laughs> but I haven't. I don't own that on DVD, so that might be a deleted scene. All right, so let's talk about the actors here, because there's some actually really big names in this movie that I didn't realize they were that big a deal when I first saw it. So there's this old couple. Carolyn is looking after this old man, Ben, and his wife, Violet. These are the Devereaux, Violet and Ben. And the woman, uh, Violet, Miss Violet, is played by Jenna Rollins. Now, do you know Do you know her? Oh, yeah, Jenna Rollins. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jenna Rollins. Uh, she was married to John Cassavetes, and she was sort of at a pioneering point in film history in terms of independent film. Um, yeah, so she came up with John Cassavetes and the independent film movement. She's she's a great actress, and she's been around and working for a long time. Yeah, and she was a big name. I think that's – a lot of people, younger viewers may not know that, that she was a really big deal back in, like, the 70s and 80s. And this is, like, almost in a way, almost a, sort of a comeback, like a second – or an extra chapter in her film career where she's like this creepy old woman in this movie? Yeah, she, I mean, watching it, I was, I did not remember, like, she gets physical. I mean, her stunt double gets physical, but still the character, like, mm -hmm. gets very physical. And there's some stuff I was like, wow, I'm watching, like, this elderly woman do all this stuff? <laughs> That's kind of cool. Yeah. Bring in the stunt grandma. Yeah, exactly. Put it like bring on Bruce, put him in a white wig. It's time for the stunt. <laughs> so yeah, so that's Miss Violet, and she is very, very important to the story. And then her husband, Ben, is played by Sir John Hurt. Very accomplished, I believe, British actor, I would assume, since he's Sir. But it's yes. it's very interesting that you have an actor of that caliber and that prestige playing a movie where he basically doesn't talk the entire movie. He just lays there. I mean, he does a very good job in the movie. That was a little bit – I was a little curious about it after watching it. I was like, hmm, I wonder what was – what drew him to this particular role when he doesn't – he barely speaks. He seems like one of those actors' actors who's like, this is a challenge. I must take it on. I want to be able to act without words or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe he just needed a, a boat or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they they have a very good cast. Uh, in this movie that they were lucky they were lucky to get all these people even like down to kate hudson's friend joy bryant mm -hmm. she's she was a very she's a very good actress and she had been in i believe antoine fisher around the same time yeah so it's a it's a very good cast all around but the the elderly couple especially are very noteworthy and acclaimed yeah okay and let's go for the third one here is that there's a lawyer there's the two elderly couple kate is or uh, carolyn is out there looking after this elderly couple caretaking for the old man and they have an estate lawyer who's hanging around named luke marshall and he is played by another acclaimed actor peter sarsgaard yes 
So it's like all these are really good actors, and they're all very important to the story. And it's it's funny in a way that this is known as a Kate Hudson movie because she's probably the least acclaimed of the actors in the movie. Uh, thinking about it, uh, yes, that is probably true. Although at the time, keep in mind, she was not that far removed from an Oscar nomination for Almost Famous, mm-hmm. and she was probably – she was – very popular at the time and she had all of her romantic comedies this was kind of a departure for her so at the time i don't know that it would have seemed that way but it seems that way in retrospect yeah. no i totally agree but looking at it now this was definitely an outlier kind of like in the movies that kate hudson tends to do yes i think she did not enjoy all the rain that she had to <laughs> shoot in so she probably said no not doing that not doing that again yeah i i was just watching the dvd today and she does literally say that that how the whole movie, she's drenched in rain, and she didn't like it. It wasn't fun. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and then fighting with stunt grandma. Well, I think that was probably stunt Kate Hudson a lot of the time, too. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm sure she and Bruce were swinging fists at some point. Okay, so let's get back to the plot here. The uh, So Carolyn is out to look after this old man. And, again, poor Ben, he has been he's, – he's had a stroke. He is unable to speak. He's in a wheelchair. He's all grizzled, has a beard. And all he can do really is move his eyes and move his hands a little bit. And it's the most pathetic thing. And Carolyn, of course, feels sympathy for him because that's what she does. She ushers the elderly into death. And he's only expected to live a couple more weeks, maybe one month max. Mm-hmm. But right off the bat, old Violet Devereaux does not like Carolyn. Right off the bat, she's like, she is unacceptable. Yes, and she has a lot to say about like the way she looks and uh, the way she presents herself. She, she's like – she sees her as sort of a bad girl. She is not approving that she has tattoos. So she's just not the type of girl that she would have invited into her house at this point in time. Although the tattoos thing is a little misleading. It's the scene you're talking about. Carolyn, Carolyn gets there, and Miss Violet does not like her. She's like, she's not acceptable. She doesn't have an accent, no southern accent. She's not from here. Um, she's a party girl. And then she even asks her, are you marked? which is the key, do you have a tattoo? She's like, so many young girls today are marked. Are you marked? And Carolyn says, I am, but only in places you'll never see. Yes. So Miss Violet just rolls her eyes. She's like, oh, these young people with their tattoos. She just not, does not like Carolyn right from the start. Although that's the most interesting thing about this movie, and I, I, it kills me I can't talk about spoilers yet, but the reason she doesn't like her is different than the reason you think it is. Yes, and if you pay attention to what she is saying to people about her, it's very interesting to look back at as to why she might be saying that. <laughs> yeah, so so Carolyn doesn't like it. She's like, this old lady doesn't like me. She's mean to me. And she bails. Carolyn wants to leave. And the lawyer, again, very important to the story, the lawyer pulls her aside, uh, Luke, and he's like, please stay. We need somebody. He's like, we've brought in lots of other girls. Nobody stays. They never want to stay. And Carolyn's like, why not? And he's like, it doesn't matter. All you have to know is that her check's clear. Miss Violet's check's clear. And it, you'll get paid good money, even though this job sucks, you get paid. So I would just suggest take it and just deal with it. And that's basically what convinces Carolyn, that the check's clear. Well, also, I think there is an element where she's she's still reeling over the death of her father. And she, it's very important to note, was not able to care for him as he was dying. He didn't tell her that he was sick. And so he died before she really had the chance to be a caretaker to him. So in a way, she sees her father in this man, and she's kind of drawn to to take care of him. She feels some sort of responsibility that she's projecting onto him based on her issues with the death of her father. 
So Carolyn comes out and she takes the job in the swamp, caretaking for poor old Ben. And right from the start, she's going to learn this job is a little bit different because she's in a different part of the world than she's used to. This is not New Jersey. We're not in the Garden State here. Her first day in the swamps, what is this? She runs into like a, she's driving to work and she stops at an old gas station. And this is where she gets her first uh, introduction to the world of hoodoo magic. Yes, she comes into the gas station. She's trying to pay for gas. Um, nobody is there. She really should just leave. She got off lucky. She didn't have to pay for gas. <laughs> but um, she eventually stumbles into a back room where there's a woman with glassy eyes that jumps out at her, and she sees a lot of crocodile heads and other things in the uh, in the gas station that seem to suggest that there's some sort of hoodoo happening in that place. Now, have you been in this area of the country? Or is this... Have you seen stuff like this? I'm curious, because you're from Texas, which is not that far from Louisiana. Uh, no, I've never been to Louisiana or New Orleans. Uh, it's actually not that close to where I am in Dallas. That's That would be kind of a drive. Um, but I've been – I mean, like you were saying, you were discussing Santeria and st- stuff like that. That's definitely very prevalent um, in Texas, and I've been all over Texas. So there are similar places that I've been, and uh, – and seen usually in small towns. Okay, yeah, Santeria is more religion-based, like you know, uh, crosses and not maybe not a crucifix, but like the saints and stuff like that, and the statues, religious statues. But yeah, yes. this is real backwoods stuff that Carolyn's in here, where they have like yeah, alligator bones hanging from the ceiling and like skulls all over the place, gator heads. And my favorite, and this becomes very important to the movie. First of all, they all speak Creole, so it's all they're all speaking in French. She doesn't know the language. But what's important is the chalk dust. And this is very important yes. to the movie, and it's very fascinating how they do it, is that apparently in hoodoo religion, or hoodoo magic, whatever you want to call it, if you have enemies in your life that mean you harm, you can stop them by laying down a line of chalk dust around your door. Nobody who means you harm can cross that line. And this becomes very important later in the movie. I just want to point that out. Yes, it's it's maybe one of my favorite things about the movie is how they deploy this. I think it's red brick dust, is it not? Yes, it's red brick dust. When I tried to buy some brick dust when I was down in the south, and I could only get white brick dust, but apparently the red is the real stuff. I mean, you could probably just go buy a brick and <laughs> throw it at the ground a couple times and get some dust. Yeah, but I really enjoy the way that they deploy the uh, the dust and what it can do and it's responsible for some of the better set pieces in the movie i think so yeah carolyn is learning a little bit about a bit about this world that she's in for the first time and she goes to the house for the first day at work and right off the bat carolyn notices some strange things about the Devereux mansion a there's no mirrors anywhere in the house b there's always this old music playing it's like blues music on a phonograph from like the 1920s it's like always this old music And the other thing is that Ben is just in a very terrible state, this old man. He can't talk. All he can do is look at her with his eyes. And right from the start, he's almost pleading with her. He's trying to tell her something, and he can't really get it out because his mouth doesn't work. And so Carolyn thinks it's weird. And then, what is it, Miss Violet comes by every hour or so, a couple hours, says he has to have remedies. He must take this medicine. Make sure he takes this. And again, this becomes important also. Yes, he takes his remedies in powder form. Uh, and Violet says that if he doesn't take his remedies, it could cause him to have seizures and have all sorts of issues. So it's very important that he is on a strict schedule. 
Okay, so, yeah, so Carolyn is the main caretaker. Miss Viola basically just hangs around in the house and smokes. She smokes these long black cigarettes. She does not like Carolyn one bit. Carolyn doesn't really like her, but, you know, Carolyn's there for a job. So this is where we learn their history, right? Carolyn kind of learns how long they've been in the house and their back history. Yes, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, they, her and her husband, they bought the house from a pair of siblings who grew up in the house but came on hard times, so they had to sell it to Violet and her husband. Uh, that's how they came to own the house. Okay, yeah, it's this house has been passed down. Yeah, it's like a couple generations. We'll learn more about the house later, but the house is very important. And uh, although this is the part in the movie where we learn about these secondary characters, and you think they're secondary characters at first, and we're jet, we're veering real close into spoilers here. But at one point, Carolyn's looking through the photo on the mantle. There's all these photographs of people who lived in the house. And she sees these two white children, and she sees with them these two black, they would have been called domestics at the time, servants, and they are known as Papa Justify and Mama Cecile. And we don't know about, we just know at one point they were the servants in the house. They will become quite important later, but for now, Carolyn just notes that there's these black servants in a lot of these old pictures, and she's kind of curious who they are. Yeah, there's a lot of pictures of them or other, like other antiques or interesting or unique things laying around the house that really have her curious including those pictures so she's it's not hard for her to find the things in the house that drive the plot along <laughs> um for reasons that we will get into but yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so interesting listen to us struggle for our words just try, try, yeah. try to phrase it i'm trying not to say <laughs> What happens? <laughs> all right, we'll get there. We'll get there soon enough, Will. We will unleash all hell. I'll just say Bruce Willis is a ghost, just so I can spoil something. Damn it! The Bruce Willis cameo, you ruined it. Mm-hmm. So Carolyn is getting to know the house and getting to know Miss Violet. And Miss Violet is always dropping helpful information to her. Like, yes. you know, I have a room up top. It's my attic, and that's where all my valuables are, all my crystals in China. And she's like, this is the lesson of Bluebeard here. That's the best room in the house. Don't ever, ever, ever go up there. Please don't. I watched that room. Don't ever go in the most amazing room in this house. <laughs> Except for when I need you to go get seeds. But be quick. <laughs> yes. There's nothing interesting up there for you to look at. Don't worry about it. Don't pay attention to any noises that you hear up there. <laughs> so, all right. So, we're, damn it. We're going we're gonna to hit the spoiler line really quickly here. So, so uh, The red brick dust line. Yes, the brick dust, yeah. So so the other question Carolyn has about this house is, how come there's no mirrors in this house? And this is an interesting payoff later in the movie, but the old lady says, well, because we're old. We don't like looking at ourselves. It's creepy. And so the, the old lady is very insistent. Do not go in the attic and do not put a mirror in this house ever. She's like, you can have a small one, a small little compact in your room because you're young and pretty and you're a girl. But other than that, never, ever put a mirror in this house. So these are kind of the rules here. There is spaces on the wall that look like there were mirrors there at some point because the wallpaper is not as faded in that area. So the mirrors were taken down recently-ish. Yes, recently-ish is a good word. Yes. <laughs> okay, so okay, so the first day on the job, Carolyn's there, and she's bathing old Ben and giving him a sponge bath. And again, he's totally helpless. He has to take this elevator between the floors. He can't move. He can just move his eyes. And I, I hate to bring this up, for I personally have health anxiety. 
and I, I am terrified of diseases. And I know there's one disease that all doctors fear because I've been told this in health counseling. It's called locked-in syndrome, which is very similar to what old Ben has, which is why this movie is especially creepy. Just wanted to point that out. Yeah, it's. I mean, is it a little bit similar to ALS maybe, or is it's a different yeah. thing? Yeah, gotcha. You're paralyzed except for your eyes. That's what Ben has. He is silent, unable to speak would be the key word. Yeah, he can just make some grunts and look at you with some pleading eyes. That's about it. So the first day on the on the job, uh, they're out in the garden, Carolyn and Miss Violet, and and Miss Violet just brings up some small talk. And again, this this is a great quote that you do not understand the significance of this quote until the second time you see it. And I will point it out at the risk of doing spoilers, but I, I don't think it'll spoil too much. Where Violet says, "Are you religious at all?" And Carolyn says, "I try to keep an open mind." Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that quote down yeah. too. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. So very important that Violet knows that Carolyn has an open mind about this stuff. Yeah, she's just trying to feel her out. She's trying to get her to, to know her as a person. You know, nothing nothing suspicious about that. So, so then Violet is looking around at her garden, and she needs some flower seeds. She's trying to plant flowers. She doesn't have her seeds. She's like, "Would you go fetch me some seeds, child?" By the way, they're up in the forbidden room. You're never allowed to go in. Why don't you go up there? So now we're going to go Carolyn's first foray up into the forbidden attic. Yes. And by the way, you do have a skeleton key that will open that door, even though we don't want you to ever go in there. Yes. <laughs> never go in there, but here's the key. Yes. <laughs> and I'll just be down here where I'm slow and old, and I will never hear you if you'd like to go wander around. <laughs> But I definitely keep a close eye on what's up there. That's why it's dusty and looks completely untouched. Okay, so what happens? Carolyn goes up to the attic for the first time. What? 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 Explain this scene to people. So she goes up into the attic the first time uh, to look for the seeds, but she ends up finding a door at the end of the attic that is shaking. It seems like somebody's trying to get out of it. There's a lot of banging. Uh, she isn't sure what's happening in there. And she tries to put her key in, but it will not open. Yeah. It's, now, th this is going to be very tricky to discuss without spoilers. I'll do my best. They explain almost everything in this movie very well by the end. How did that door rattle? I don't get this. I mean, magic, I guess. I mean, it's it doesn't really bother me that much. It's just kind of like, you know, it's hoodoo magic, whatever. Suspension of disbelief. I'll go with it. Um, or there's like a possum back there, maybe. <laughs> or Bruce Willis. Exactly. <laughs> or Bruce the stuntman. I, I, I'm just realizing my train of thought here is very amusing, that I fully buy into hoodoo, but I do not buy that they can make a door rattle. <laughs> yeah, some things are just a step too far, really. So Carolyn comes down. She's like, you know, there's this creepy room at the, up in the attic. And Miss Violet's like, what? I have no idea. What are you talking about? And Carolyn's like, it's rattling. What's behind there? And, and Miss Violet's like, of course, I've never been in that room. I have no idea. I, child, you've found something new. I, I have no idea. So Carolyn, of course, is very piqued by this room, and we will have a payoff for it in a little bit. Yeah, she's. I think the she does say that she's aware of it, but she says, oh, well, I never went in there. It was locked, and I never tried to get in. You know, so if you had a house and there was a locked door, you would definitely never try to get in there. You wouldn't be curious. Never. She just wants to leave it be. Yeah. And we have a, of course, my, we have a skeleton key, and it opens every room in the house except that one, and it doesn't really bother me. <laughs> yeah. 
Who cares? It's probably nothing. Nothing. Okay. So it's the first night in the house. Carolyn's there for the first night, and she's she's a live-in nurse, so she sleeps in the house. And the first night, she hears a clattering, like a slamming and a thump up in Ben's room. She doesn't sleep in his room. And she goes in there, and she finds that the old man has not only broken out of his paralysis somewhat, he has climbed out the window, and he is trying to throw himself to his death. He's trying to kill himself. So... Right off the bat, she's, she has an emergency on her first night as a uh, home health nurse. Yes, he's crawling across the roof trying to kill himself or get away or something. He's just trying to get out of that situation of where he is. Yes, he does not. Ben is not happy with his current situation. We'll just leave it at that. No, he is not. <laughs> so Carolyn tries to rescue Ben, and she goes down underneath. And basically, this old man crawls out on the roof, throws himself down on the ground. And I forget, she either breaks his fall or he falls on something soft. He doesn't hurt himself. But she doesn't know what was he doing. Why was Ben trying to kill himself, trying to escape? It's all very confusing. Until she, we get the first horror beat in this movie, where you realize this is a sinister movie. She goes up to his room, and she sees that he has written a message for her. Now, Will, that message was like, thank you for taking care of me, right? Uh, Yeah, something like that. It says, help me on one of his sheets. And I think it's dirt, maybe. I'm not quite sure what he wrote it, wrote it with. But yeah, it says, help me on one of his white sheets. So that's, you know, ordinary things that happen in the life of a hospice uh, caretaker. Just help me on a sheet. Yes. Ben is praying for either release from his condition or a quick death, that one of the two. And so Carolyn realizes, why was he why was he signaling for me to help him? She doesn't really or yeah, she doesn't really get what's going on. And she goes to the lawyer, Luke, the next day, and she's like, you know, Ben tried to kill himself last night. And I love Luke's response. Oh, really already? He usually waits a couple days before he tries that. Yeah. He's very he seems like he's been around the block with these two for a while and he's he's not pressed about anything that's happening there. And we should mention something that we haven't mentioned is that uh Ben had a stroke up in the attic. So that's where his his health deteriorated after he went up there. So she was extra suspicious because something happened to Ben in the attic that caused him to have the stroke that debilitated yes, him. Yes, that's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, it was this will drive the story Again, there's two parallel stories going on. The one, the main one you're going to see as you watch is that something happened to Ben up in the attic, and she's trying to figure out what is evil up there that did this to him. That's very important. Yes. Not to spoil too much, but that's not the actual plot. That's the plot that we'd like to follow for now. (laughs) It's the plot that she thinks that she is on. Yes, and it it is important because if you follow that storyline, she does behave very realistically. I don't think she makes a lot of false moves here. I, it's very well set up the way they have two parallel movies going on, and it actually works both ways. I have to say that. Yeah, it's. It, I, I do like that, that she's very resourceful, and um, she's not making a lot of terrible decisions. She's making some, but she is also very proactive in what she's doing, which is interesting when we get to the end and ultimately <laughs> what that – how she's being proactive maybe is not what she thinks she's doing is not really what she is yes. doing. Oh, that's the best way. Yeah, that's the best way to phrase it. What what she thinks she is doing is not what she's really doing. Yes. <laughs> okay, so so yeah, she starts bonding with Luke the lawyer. He's like the only young guy around and he's like flirting with her and hanging out with her and talking to her. And there's scenes where he's like openly leering towards her almost. Like he's very friendly, but you get the sense he's a little too friendly. Yes, he's very 
creepy a little bit with her, and you can tell that he's eyeing her, and um, he likes what he sees. Um, and Violet is not too pleased that there's fraternization happening in her house. Yeah, and this is one of the great parallel stories going on, is that, yeah, Miss Violet sees Luke and Carolyn kind of flirting and getting close to each other, and Miss Violet shooting him looks. And he's like, oh, you're the only woman for me. And, like, he's trying to play, placate Miss Violet. And what you think is going on here is not what's actually going on here, but it's really fascinating to watch this when you see it the second time and you know the actual story. Why he's so excited by Kate Hudson's young body. <laughs> yes, he's he's very pleased with what he sees. I will say, watching the movie, I like I said before, it's very – there's not a lot of wasted time in it, despite the fact that it's almost two hours. I feel like the movie – moves pretty fast on, on a clip. It does feel like there were scenes with Peter Sarsgaard's character, Luke, that were edited out, that maybe there was more scenes of him and Kate Hudson's character developing some sort of relationship um, that would have made the climax pay off a little more, mm -hmm. I'll say. But still, what you're saying, all the conversations he's having with her and with Violet, it's all very interesting when you look back at it <laughs> at the end. So... Here we go. The movie's about to kick up into second gear. We know that something bad has happened to Ben. Carolyn is very suspicious of this attic. Miss Violet doesn't yes. like Carolyn. And now Carolyn is going to finally go up into that attic, into the forbidden room in the back. And oh boy, is this a fun one. So explain to people what she sees in the forbidden room. There is a lot of relics and things that would be used in hoodoo practices. There's little voodoo dolls. There's things in jars. There's just a lot of assorted mystical items up there um, that don't look like they've been touched for a very long time. <laughs> yes, it's, yeah, just like the rest of the stuff in the attic. Very dusty. No one's been up yeah. here in, I'd say, a good 40 years, give or take. <laughs> and Yes. Yeah, it's just... Uh, skulls, bones, jars, voodoo dolls. There's like organs from animals, these, the internal organs they put in jars in like oil. There's pictures, potions, all anything you think of when you think of voodoo or again, hoodoo, which we learn later. Hoodoo is a, it's more of a slave version of voodoo. It's more specific to Louisiana. Yes. And we find a book here. This is a, it's a, it's called a receipt book, although I wouldn't guess it's not so much of a receipt book as we would say. It's more like a book of spells. Yes. And it belonged to Papa Justify and Mama Cecile, the two black domestics we saw earlier in the movie. And there's all sorts of fun stuff in this book that Carolyn sees, spells, and they're all called conjurations. And there's like a conjuration of protection, a conjuration of, you know, in, yeah, insight, and then the big one, sacrifice. This is the big one, Papa Justify's conjuration of sacrifice. It's the biggest spell in the book. Yes. And I think also in this room is where she finds the record. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> Explain this record to people, because if there's one thing that, you know, every movie has a symbol, you know, Freddy Krueger's got the glove, Jason Voorhees has the mask. The skeleton key has the record. <laughs> yes. It's a record that has some sort of incantation on it that would be used in hoodoo. I believe it's labeled for the sacrifice spell. Am I right about that? Yeah, Papa Justifies Conjure of Sacrifice, August 24, 1920. Yes, so it's it's recorded on a, on a record, and she takes that out of the attic because she thinks it might be important. 
uh, to what's happening. Yeah. I'm going to insert a clip right after this for people to listen. Okay. I'm just going to say, right after the sentence, I'm going to play you a little Papa Justifies Conjure Sacrifice, which is one of the creepiest records you're ever going to hear. Although, again, if you listen to the words, it's an old slave prayer to lift us up from our dark uh, situation. It's it's very sad. If you listen to it, it's actually not really that scary. But, you know, it's the music makes it yeah. scary yeah I, just to quote some of it verbatim i cannot do justice to the melodic tones of papa justify but the words are like it is time lord take me from the devil's house lord take me it is time lord out of these chains Yes, so there that is a prayer for freedom, although you, you could read the words in a different way, I suppose. Yeah. So Carolyn takes this record, the Papa Justified Conjuration record, and she brings it back to her house. And she plays it on her record player. She, of course, as a young hipster, has a record player because she collects vinyl. Yes. <laughs> and she plays it. And Carolyn has a black roommate who is named Jill, Jill the Thrill. And Jill hears this record and her eyes get wide. She's like, why are you playing that hoodoo sacrifice record in my house? Because Jill has a little bit of history with this stuff, doesn't she? Yes. Uh, it's her grandmother or her mother. I can't remember which one, but her was Aunt, a believer and a Oh, an aunt, excuse me, a believer and a practitioner, and she knows of a place in their area that has a hoodoo practitioner in it. So she's a little bit familiar with that world. Yeah, and this, there's some really important information that comes out in this scene. In fact, I would say this is the most important line in the movie. And again, this this will spoil a little bit, but it really doesn't because you know kind of where this movie's going, but it's going to trick you. Where Jill says. You know, hoodoo is, it's, voodoo is a religion that came over from Africa. The slaves brought it. And then hoodoo is an offshoot that's like American folk magic. And she's like, there's no God in hoodoo. It's just spells and stuff like that. It's all this, you know, folk magic. But she says, my aunt has explained this to me. This is the most important part about hoodoo, Carolyn. It's all made up. But if you believe in it, it will work on you. So it's all psychosomatic. If you don't believe in it, it's nothing. If you believe in this stuff, it's very powerful. So she's like, just make sure you don't believe in it. And Carolyn's like, well, I don't. This is stupid. And Jill's like, just remember, don't believe in this. Yeah. It only has power over people who believe that it has power. Okay, so so Jill has explained the hoodoo. And she says there's a hoodoo shop back here behind this laundromat in New Orleans if you want to learn more about it. And Carolyn's like, nah, I don't need to. And Jill's like, good. Don't go in there. It's creepy. So for now, nothing's going to happen. Although now the plot's going to escalate even more where Carolyn goes back to the house and talks to Miss Violet and says, you know, I was up in the attic. I saw the hoodoo room. And Miss Violet's like, you had no right to go back there. And Carolyn's like, who who are those people? Who are Papa Justify and Mama Cecile? Tell me about this hoodoo. And now Miss Violet is going to sit down in maybe one of the be- maybe the best scene in the movie. Explains the history of Papa Justify and Mama Cecile. Yes, she does, and we get some black and white flashbacks of their backstory as well. I will I will give you the honor because I know you're a storyteller. Explain the story that we hear of the sad death of Papa Justify and Mama Cecile. 
So Papa Justify and Mama Cecile were known among the Creole community, and I believe this happened in the 1920s. Do I have that right? Somewhere yeah, around the 1920s, 90 years ago, she says. Yes. So they were known in the Creole community as practitioners of hoodoo, but they were also servants at the plantation where this movie takes place. There was a family that lived there, and they had two young children, a boy and a girl. And one night during a party, everybody was getting ready to leave, all of the guests, and they wanted to say goodnight to the kids who were supposed to be in bed, but they could not find them. And eventually the party found the children up in the attic with Papa Justify and Mama Cecile performing some sort of ritual, it seemed, like they were maybe uh, inducting them into the practice. Um, we're not quite sure what the spell was that they were doing, but the guests are outraged that the children are being dragged into this, so they take Papa Justify and Mama Cecile out into the front. They lynch them, and they light them on fire, and it's a very, it's a very savage um, scene. Um, but yeah, that is their backstory, and Violet indicates that you know they their ghosts are there, and they have just as much right to be there as anybody else. So don't go around disturbing their stuff. Basically. That is the takeaway, that there was this horrible thing that happened in this house. These two, as Miss as, as Violet describes them, uh, Papa Justify was a two-headed doctor. He was a conjure man. So was Cecile. Yes. It's in, and they were lynched. It was a very brutal scene. And because they were lynched by their white owners, there's a ghost. The ghosts are still hanging around the house up in the attic. So don't go up in the attic. And that's the takeaway. And I believe, Will... This is where we should draw the line, and we can talk about spoilers from here on out. You cool with that? Yes, that is fine with me. So if you have not watched this movie and you want to experience for yourself, I would stop here. Although I will honestly say that us explaining this will give you a more rich experience when you watch it, just because the second viewing is the big one. And it's because of this lynching scene. There's a very, very, very important detail in this scene that the director does not make clear, and it's a big problem. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, no, I don't think so. Here we go. This is spoilers from here on out. Full-on territory. I'm just, I'm warning you right now. So, the black servants were up in the attic playing with the children and teaching them how hoodoo works. And the white owners of the house said, do not interact with our children that way. Do not teach them your paganry. We are going to kill you. They pulled the black servants out and they hang them. And it's a very emotional, violent, horrible scene, as it should be. The director flat out said, I wanted this scene to be as brutal as possible to show you how horrible it was, the conditions that blacks had in the South and how these these lynchings were terrible. And it was a perfectly valid reason to show it that way. But he does not make it clear in the movie what happened and why Papa Justify and Mama Cecile are not the ones being lynched. Um... I think I understood what had happened. Um, my my uh, thing with this particular scene was that there could have been more um, backstory on Papa Justify and Mama Cecile and what they were, they were doing as maybe why this ritual was being performed this night. What yeah. was the instigation for why it was happening now? Um why do they need to do it now? So so that was kind of my one issue is that if they were to make this movie today, I think we would have more indication of why this was happening. And it might be tied into 
bigger socio-political issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think – I will disagree a little bit. I mean I, I do appreciate that the director indicated that he wanted to show the lynching as horrifying. Still, it's a little hard to have a lynching be like a like a B scene. You know what I mean? Trying to don't know how to describe it, but just to have it sort of be like something that happens, but something that's not dwelled upon that much. And it's hard for the to depict a lynching without having a greater point about the conditions that they were living in in the South. Mm-hmm. And I would have liked Papa Justifying Mama Cecile's actions later in the movie to resonate a little bit more with that and No, you wanna you wanna be more you wanna be more sympathetic to Papa Justifying Mama Cecile and you aren't because you don't know their story. Yes, and there should maybe be a more intricate reason behind who they are choosing mm-hmm. to and I guess we should just we did. spoil yeah, we're what's going on. Say, it. Say what happens. Yeah. So it turns out that the the spell of sacrifice, it is not what uh, Caroline seems to think at some points is that Violet is using this spell to suck the life out of Ben. And so she's going to make herself live longer by taking his years away from him. And then eventually she begins to suspect that actually Violet wants to take Caroline's years away from him. Oh, sorry, away from her. Um, Before the climax gets going, she and the lawyer go back to that gas station, and they ask the woman with the glassy eyes about the the sacrifice spell, and she says, I wrote this down, you have to sacrifice the years that person has left. So initially you would think, okay, well, this is like some sort of life-sucking spell where it's going to add years to my life and take it from yours but actually what it is is it's body swapping the get out the get out storyline yes so you are getting older and you don't want to be in this body anymore you perform this spell and you will switch bodies with the person that you are performing the spell on so what happened was that papa justify and mama cecile they changed bodies with those two children so when they were lynched it was actually the bodies of those servants but it was the children inside so they ended up lynching their own children in different bodies meanwhile the two siblings grew up and lived in that house and they were actually papa justifying mama cecile in yeah. different bodies okay let me clarify that for people who have not seen this yeah i might have explained it wrong, it's but... the beauty of a very good explanation for people who have seen the movie i'm worried people who have not seen this movie what happens is the black caretakers were getting old and they didn't like their lives anymore because you know the servants in the south got treated like crap and miss violet even says this they worked them to the bone sorry just to cut in we can go into this later but i feel like that's something that maybe should have been emphasized more uh-huh 100 percent yeah, so the black servants had this horrible, shitty life, and they get crapped on, and they have Papa Justify has come up with this way to get out, free him from these chains, as one, if, as it were, where he doesn't want to be a black domestic in the South anymore, and he has figured out this body switching spell, and it's it's really got two parts to the spell. One, you're able to switch into somebody's body who perhaps has a better future than you, and two, it allows you to live forever. 
And that's the key part of this movie, and that's why I picked the, the song at the start of this podcast from Fame, I Want to Live Forever, uh, that Remember My Name, where, where Papa Justify has mastered the spell. And so the night they are lynched, what's happening is Papa Justify and Mama Cecile are switching bodies into the bodies of the small white children, the plantation's owners. And so when, when the servants go up there, the, the whites go up there and they storm the attic and they hang the blacks, like Will said, they're hanging their own goddamn kids. And that's just horrific when you think about that for a second, that they've hung their little six-year-old kid, and Papa Justify and Mama Cecile are safely ensconced in these young bodies, these white children, and they're going to grow up happily and healthily as white people for the next 60 years, and nobody's going to know who they are. And like Will said, there's a yes. really interesting movie in there had they chose to get into it, like it would have been more of a get-out movie. But it's not. But that's my one issue with this movie. They don't make it clear that Papa Justify and Mama Cecile switch bodies into those kids right then. In the movie, at no point during the movie do they do they spell that out. You have to kind of think about it after the movie ends, and that's when it dawns on you. I don't know. I felt like it was pretty – maybe that's just from the benefit of watching it again. But I feel like I, I pretty much understood what was happening there. But maybe that's just because I already knew what was happening. So I'm kind of looking for – it's like confirmation bias, I already know, but I feel like it's inferred enough. It's um, sneaky. That that's yeah, what happened. Sneaky. Yes. It's sneaky. Because if you go to Rotten Tomatoes and like critic websites, this movie has like a 40% success, and like critics, it's even lower. It's like 30%. Yeah. And I swear it's because nobody gets what's going on in that scene. And I remember the first time I saw this movie, we get to the end, and spoiler, Miss Carol, Miss Violet jumps into Carolyn's body, and it's, it's all creepy, but... Even at the end, it was me, my wife, and my daughter, and all three of us are pretty savvy horror minds. And all three of us were like, what happened? What just happened? Why Why is she Miss Vi Why is she Mama Cecile? Now, we didn't get it, so I had to watch it the second time, and I had to read some reviews on a message board, and where they, uh, people said, it's that body-switching scene, the lynching, that's where they switch into the kids. If they had portrayed that a little differently, that ending would pay off better the first time. So that's why I say you have to know that for the second time viewing to really pay off. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of, like, body swapping, and this person is in this body, and this person's this body that's going on, and maybe they kind of lose the thread a little bit as the movie goes on. They, The plot gets away from them a little mm -hmm. bit in exchange for more horror and action. So, yeah, I can... It, I can see how it might get a little bit confusing. Yeah, it's, it's the M. Night Shyamalan thing where the twist ending is all important. We must protect that at all costs. Even though you throw away a little exposition, you might have needed along the way. And that's, it's like a directing choice. But again, like I said, you go out and you read all the critic reviews. It's like 30% favorable. And this is one of the rare movies where I'll just flat out say, everybody's wrong. Like, you have to see this one twice knowing that that body swap happens in the middle. And then it's like, it should be like 100%, one of the greatest movies of all time. So that's, that's my argument that I brought up at the start here. I don't know if I would agree that strongly, <laughs> but I do I do like it, um, and I do think it's interesting and worth watching. Um, and I guess we'd ha I have to go look at those Rotten Tomatoes reviews. I feel like Rotten Tomatoes is kind of a bad barometer for measuring um, critical reactions because something can be like a mediocre review, like I liked it okay but not that much, and it can be rotten, or something can be like, fine and it'll get like 90 percent of rotten tomatoes just because it's not objectionable mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it's not always the best barometer but i do know that this was not critically beloved um but not this is the kind of the era i think where there was a lot of horror movies like this coming out like a lot of like the Lionsgate horror stuff like that 
this was kind of like part of that genre, and those were not critically beloved, like on yeah. the whole. No, I know this. This is not a movie for everyone. It's just one that I, yeah. as a fan of Arlington Road, a movie where the bad guy wins and it's horrible, and the person who wrote the movie hated his hero. It's very similar to this one. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes, that it. That is true. Um, it's a little different, but I guess we can get into it in terms of like, does the film do? Does the director love its villains? Is it invested in its villains? But um, we can we can get we can. And get it does that. back into your other point: Are Papa Justify and Mama Cecile really villains? Yes, <laughs> I'm not sure they are. I think you actually kind of convinced me that they they're just doing the best they can to get out of their crappy situation. I don't like it. Sucks what they do to Carolyn, but I'm not necessarily sure they're the bad guys. Yeah. So. I guess, do you want to get into this now a little bit? Well, let's um, go through the plot, because we got to finish this up. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so so Carolyn learns all this story about Papa Justify and Mama Cecile being killed, and their ghosts are up in the attic, and, and this is where Miss Violet sets the stage. She's like, this is why there's no mirrors in the house, because you can see ghosts in the mirrors. I don't like it. And you're being led down this path, and really all we're doing is... Everything else in this movie is bullshit. All that matters is Miss Violet is trying to get Carolyn to believe in hoodoo. Because if you believe in it, then they can cast the spell on you and then it will work. So everything else is a smokescreen other than just to get her to believe in hoodoo. Yes, and that's why – so when the first watch, when you're watching the movie, and she, she Caroline just happens to come across like that picture of Papa Justify, Mama Cecile, and the kids, and there's just lots of things that are very easy to, for her to find. So if you're watching this movie the first time, you think, wow, is this – like they're not hiding um, – Violet is not hiding the suspicious things in her house very well. You think if she was trying to keep a secret that she would put those things under lock and key, but as it turns out, that was all very intentional. She wanted Caroline to fight all those things because she wanted her to start believing in hoodoo so that she could cast the body swap spell yeah, on it's her. It's a very intricately woven trap, and it's very clever when you see it the second time how well it's set up. Like when the lawyer is leering at you know Caroline earlier in the movie, that's because this is the body he's going to get to bang for the next 50 years. He's so excited because he hasn't had a young woman to have sex with in years. So it's like that's Papa Justify so excited that this is going to be his wife. I think we have not mentioned actually that the lawyer – yeah, I don't think we've mentioned yet that the lawyer is Papa Justify and that and that, that the lawyer's consciousness is now in Ben, who is uh, the old man who's – Yes, the lawyer – Papa Justify has switched bodies first. Yes. And you know it's driving him crazy because he's young now and he's married to this old woman and he wants a young woman. So <laughs> it's, it's very much in his interest to work with her. And I think when you um, – when Caroline goes to his apartment towards the end of the movie, there's a picture of him with mm -hmm. the woman on the desk. So you get the impression that that lawyer had a relationship with somebody before the body swap. Um, so there's signs that he had – there's signs of his old life yeah. there, which raises her suspicion. There's also a bunch of like Law for Dummies books. <laughs> I just caught that on this viewing. He, he was learning law on the fly. <laughs> yes. Okay, so, so – uh... And there's, again, just the, the dual nature of some of these scenes where the scene could work either way. I'm really impressed when I watch it. Like, Carolyn now thinks that there are, there's all these ghosts in the house and the mirror will attract the ghost. So she goes to old Ben up in the bathtub. Ben's taking a sponge bath. And she pulls out a mirror. She just wants to see what will happen. And Ben, like, freaks out. He's like, ah! Like, he doesn't like looking in the mirror. And Carolyn's like, oh, he must see the ghost. He knows about the ghost in the house that gave him a stroke. 
but that's not actually why he's freaking out. He's freaking out because he's reminded that he's a young lawyer trapped in this locked in syndrome in this old man. He sees the body. He's reminded what has happened to him. And that's why he's flipping out. She just doesn't get that yet. Yeah, she this whole movie, she's like I said, she's very resourceful and she's trying a lot of things. So what's sort of tragic for her is that she's making a lot of decisions that in other horror movies would maybe protect her Mm -hmm. and help her win in the end. But she's everything she's doing is leading to her own demise, even though even though on paper you would think it's the right thing to do. But it really is not. It's terrible. She's making all these great, wise decisions and they're not. They're just leading her further and further right into the trap. And this is where she goes, like, she thinks that Ben, Ben believes he has a, a silence spell. Someone has cast a silence spell on him. So she actually goes to the hoodoo store and she talks to the lady at the hoodoo store. How do I cast a spell that reverses that? Yes. And again, Carolyn, best of intention. She's trying her best, but all it's doing is making her believe in hoodoo more. Yeah. So she, she, her thing is, you know, it's whatever is happening with Ben is psychosomatic. So if he believes that there's a spell cast on him. And I think at this point she suspects that Violet was the one mm-hmm. who cast it. Then if she does a spell to reverse it and he believes in it, then it will, it'll reverse the spell that's on him. But what she actually does is that she does a spell that seems to work on him, in which case she now believes that the spells work. So, and like you said before, it's important that if you believe it, it's going to be able to be used on you. So everything she's doing, she's making herself an easy mark. It's so horrible. This is one of those just gut yes. punch movies when you when you watch it the second time and you see what happens. Because it's all her fault. Carolyn is willingly doing this. Oh. Yes. There's, okay, there's a scene i got to talk about. She goes to the hoodoo store. And she explains to this old black woman behind the counter, there's this man, I think he's been cursed, he can't talk. And the hoodoo lady's like, sounds like he's been crossed. And she's like, crossed? What's that? She's like, someone's cast a spell on him to silence him. And it's, what I love about this is the old lady's like, what are, what's the nature of his condition? Tell me his symptoms. And Carolyn's like, well, he can't talk, his tongue is tied, he, he can just look with his eyes, he's paralyzed. And the old lady knows instantly what has happened to him. She's like, okay, here's the remedy, here's the cure. Like, she knows exactly. This is a silent spell. You're fucking around from really dangerous stuff here. And Carolyn doesn't want to, she's like, well, this isn't for me. I don't believe in it. This is for him. And the lady, like, rolls her eyes. And then Jill, the roommate, says the same thing. Don't mess with this, Carolyn. Carolyn's like, oh, I don't believe in it. It's just for Ben. Ben believes. So it's, you can just see it coming. Yeah, she's trying to convince herself that she does not believe it. But it's more and more it's creeping it's creeping into her into her brain that it's real. And here's one of the creepiest scenes in the movie. And again, this one plays really really well on both storylines. Where Carolyn goes back to Ben, she casts this healing spell on him with like chalk and hair and all this stuff, and and it actually opens Ben's mouth. He's able to talk. She uncrosses him for a minor minute. And he starts talking. He's like, help, help, get me out of here. And she's like, who were you afraid of? And Ben points to Miss Violet. I'm scared of her. And that's in the Miss Violet runs in and stops it. But this is from here on out. We know Violet is extremely sinister. Watch out for her. Yes. And at this, at this point, she's Caroline just assumes that she is an elderly woman performing some hoodoo spells on her husband. But as we will see, it's not quite that. Uh, it's not quite that okay. simple. We will, I will rush to the ending here just because I want to spend a lot of time talking about this. But 
So Carolyn enlists the help of the lawyer. She's like, I think Miss Violet has cast a spell on, on Ben. And the lawyer, of course, yeah. who we know is Papa Justify now, is like, oh, really? That's that's shocking. I've never heard of such a thing. And he will lead her along the path the entire way of getting her to believe in this hoodoo. And then Carolyn says, I want to talk to the last girl. Who was the last girl caretaker in this house? I want to know why she quit. And this is a really interesting scene here. Yes. She goes to visit her, and it's a black woman, and she's a nurse. And she – basically her perspective is you know, if you don't believe in the hoodoo, leave before you do uh, because there's something happening in that house and with Miss Violet. Yeah, yeah, the black lady Haley. We, we, have learned, we will learn later there were a succession of black housekeepers and home nurses that have come in. And again, I, I hate to spoil this, but it makes sense to say it here. Because Mama Cecile wants to jump into a black body this time. She wants her old skin color back. She doesn't want to be a white girl. But the problem is they cannot keep a black home health nurse because all the black girls understand hoodoo and they get out of there really quickly. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they have sense. I think, what is the line uh, at the very end? I have it written down. She, uh, she says, I told you I wanted a black one this time, and he says the black ones never stay. The black girls are all too smart. They're all too wise to hoodoo. Like, no way. And Carolyn, yeah. the white girl from New Jersey, was all the best they can get. Yeah, and it's not maybe not even that they're wise to hoodoo. They're just like, there's something bad happening in this house. I'm not sticking around. Whereas Caroline, she sort of has a savior complex, so she's she is she's going to stay till the she's committed so she's not going anywhere even though things are getting worse and worse and worse and that's the thing her we'll say bleeding heart carolyn's tender heart to save this old man is going to do her in yes <laughs> it's so terrible this is just a again the nastiest gut punch of a movie this super nice person all of it is used against her to take her body and get her trapped in a locked in syndrome oh god <laughs> And she has plenty of times to escape, but she will not leave this old man behind either. And that that is a huge weight holding her to the space, and it's making it very hard for her to leave. Her own dead father ends up killing her. Exactly. Well, she's not she's not dead at the end of the movie, Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's – okay, we will get to this at the end, but it's not so bad that your heroine dies in this movie. No, she is put into a perpetual state of paralysis where she will live that way for quite a while until she slowly drifts away, unable to tell anyone who she is. You know, it's not quite death, but maybe it's worse. <laughs> I am changing my argument over where Justify and Cecile are not villains now. Now I've swung back to the other pendulum. Now I think they're assholes. Yeah. Um, Cuz what did Carolyn what did Carolyn do to them? Come on. Exactly. That's yeah, that's the thing. Um maybe if you were a little more thoughtful the filmmakers about the racial implications of some of this, then maybe you would have a greater understanding and it might mean a little bit more. But we can get to that when we're done with the plot, I think. Okay. Here we go to the end the slam bang action finale of the skeleton key one of my favorite endings of any horror movie ever although again it only really resonates with you if you know what's going on that's why the first viewing can be tough because there's a lot happening here where carolyn his her last plan she's like i know miss violet is casting a spell on ben she's doing something to him some conjure of sacrifice i'm going to steal ben away and the lawyer's like but it's hoodoo. It can't be real. And she's like, it doesn't matter. They believe it's real. So she's still convincing herself. Yes. 
So like they they run they try to go to the house to steal Ben and this is where we get the scene you mentioned earlier where they go to the gas station one time last time and the old blind lady who's the other hoodoo practitioner explains everything Carolyn needs to know to set up the ending. George she says, "Oh, the conjure of sacrifice, it's something that Papa Justify discovered how to live forever, how you jump into someone else's body and take their years away." But the old lady's like, but Justify never was able to use it. He masked, he figured it out, but they killed him before he used it. But that's not correct. Yeah, and also just to go back and, sorry, correct something that you said. The um, the woman in the gas station, she does not mention swapping bodies. She just says you have to sacrifice the years that person has left. So to Caroline, that means you're some sort of succubus, and you're going to keep living because you're going to take the years that I have and and I'm going to die, and you're going to inherit my years of life, yes. basically. So what it turns out is that she, you are sacrificing that person's soul, basically. You're swapping bodies with them. So that's – you're taking their life, yes. basically. <laughs> you are taking their identity. You are becoming them. It's the get out all over again, which, again, I know that movie got a lot of acclaim, but this movie really did it first, even though a lot of people don't know this movie. Uh, yeah, I'm – We'll save that. Save that. Table that for the I, end. We'll save yeah, that. we'll save. Yeah, we'll save that. Um, I will say so. Starting, I think the when they go to the gas station for the second time, I think there's about forty minutes left, thirty or forty minutes left in the movie. Does yeah. that sound right to you? And I think what I did appreciate appreciate about the movie is after that point, the movie just keeps going. It's nonstop. It's very the action and the horror really pick up at that point, and there's really no lull after that. It's pretty. It's a pretty exciting climax, and it it doesn't drag at all. And right after the uh, scene at the gas station, we get to my favorite part of the movie, which is when Caroline returns to the plantation, and she and Violet are knowingly sort of <laughs> playing with each other and trying to test each other to see who's going to strike first. It's a very interesting dynamic. Um, so. If we're okay to move to this part, Caroline brings the red brick dust into the house, and she lays a line of it at her door, and she tries to get Violet, Miss Violet to come into her room to look at a leak in the ceiling, and they have this whole back and forth about, can you come look at it now, or can you look at it closer? Oh, you're being so silly. So they both know what's going on. Miss Violet knows that she cannot go past the line of red brick dust on the floor because she means Caroline harm. Uh, but she's, they're just not ready to strike yet. And then they go, they go to dinner and uh, Miss Violet has made gumbo for Caroline and she's trying not to eat it. Where Meanwhile, Caroline has put some sort of sleeping agent in the sugar cubes that Miss Violet usually uses for her sweet tea. And she's, decided this time she doesn't want sugar in her sweet tea. So there's this whole stalemate for them, and there's this giant table in this plantation, and they both know that the other is onto each other somewhat, but they, they're not ready to make the first move. So they're just trying to – they're trying to outmaneuver each other, and they're trying to come up with a plan of action. But it's just – I really do like scenes where both parties involved know that the other person is lying – but they don't 
they're not ready to do anything about it's it like yet. two gunfighters kind of warily eyeing each other across the saloon and yes. someone's gonna shoot and you don't know and like you said it's like a chess game is that carolyn's putting down the chalk dust although i have to point this out Carolyn lays down chalk dust over her room to see if Miss Violet can cross it or not, and Miss Violet will not cross it. Yes. Now, what's funny is that that proves that Miss Violet is means her harm, but it also justifies in Carolyn's head that chalk dust works and hoodoo is real. Yes, I mean, she purposely put that chalk dust down, so in some ways she believed that was going to protect her. So there is a scene I think that we skipped over um, where she is in her room and she has a little compact and she sees one of the ghosts in her mirror just passing through. And I think at, that's the point where she's gone. Like it's done. She, she's crossed the line where she believes. And so after that point, it's she, that what's going to happen to her is going to happen to her. It's already too late for her to get out of it. It's, I'm glad you said that. That's a, it's a dream sequence about half an hour before this in the movie. And it's, it's a really probably the creepiest scene in the movie there's all these images flashing in carolyn's head while she's sleeping and the one that i cannot get out of my head is the her mouth being sewed shut which is the creepiest image and she wakes up and she has a vision that someone has cut her hair and what happened is miss violet has snuck into a room and cut her hair as part of a spell so that from like you said from that point on it's done she's toast yeah, she's she's already crossed the line into belief, so she can tell herself that she doesn't believe, and at the end she very vocally tells us that she does not believe, but that's not true. She does believe it's too late for her. She's oh, yeah. bought in. Yeah, the point that she's laying down chalk dust, there's no coming back from that. So yeah. so there's this stalemate at the dinner table where it feels like Miss Violet's trying to drug Carolyn, and Carolyn's trying to drug Miss Violet, and it's like this neat little chess game, and nobody will eat the other person's food. And then Carolyn finally slips some some kind of a slipper, slipper a Mickey, I don't know what it is, some kind of rofanol or whatever, into her, into her, into her drink, Miss Carolyn's drink, or Miss Violet's drink, and Miss Violet passes out. So Carolyn makes it her mission now that she's not... It's not so much that she wants to stop Miss Violet, which should be her mission. Her mission is she wants to get Ben out of there and save Ben, which is what's going to do her in. Yeah, she's still committed to, to saving Ben. So she's doing all of this because she wants to she wants to get him out of that situation, like I said, because in some ways it's a surrogate for the father that she wasn't able to help. She actually outwits Miss or Mama Cecile. This is the showdown between Carolyn and Mama Cecile. Carolyn actually outwits her and knocks her out, and she flees, and she gets out. She cannot get Ben out of there because the gate has been chained. They can't drive away, but Carolyn gets out of there, and she's like, I have proof that Miss Violet is trying to harm Ben, and she runs to the lawyer, her only ally, that he's going to, he's like, he's always been telling her, if you have proof, I can do anything to get him out of there. She's like, I have proof, and she's all ready to go. And then this is where the hammer drops on her, where she turns her back to the lawyer, and she starts looking at the little items on his desk, and she realizes he's maybe not who thinks she thinks he is. Yes, like we said, he has sort of Law for Dummies books, and there's a picture of him with another woman that we don't know. Um so it seems like the lawyer is not everything that he has said he is, and surprise, he's Papa Justify. Yeah, that's a nice twist that I didn't see coming at the time, that we know the, the lady is a spellcaster. You don't realize the lawyer is a spellcaster, too. He's just switched bodies before. And yeah. there's a creepy moment in this scene where she realizes the lawyer is actually Papa Justify. It's when there's a record player in his office, and he's playing that Ico yes. Ico song, Ico Ico I Ne, which... 
I know from Rain Man, that song is used in Rain Man to a completely different effect. <laughs> and this one, it's a symbol that hoodoo shit is about to go down, so watch out. Yeah, the hoodoo scene in Rain Man was not quite the same thing. I mean, maybe that's why Raymond couldn't talk very well. You you may very well be true. Like, Tom Cruise could have been a practitioner, his character. That's, that was Tom Cruise's master plan to get to stay in the Rain Man suite in Vegas. He had to cast a spell on his brother, give him the autism. There's some there's some spell about fear of airplanes, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, so uh so yeah, so tell what happened. So basically Carolyn gets hoodwinked and kidnapped by the lawyer, aka Papa Justify. And I will say, just to go back, sorry, I don't want to like rain on your parade. I know you love this movie. I like this movie too, but there are some things I think we could have done with one or two more scenes between Kate Hudson and Peter Sarsgaard before mm-hmm. the climax, just to establish the relationship they have so that his betrayal of her and the turn could make be have a little more impact perhaps but um yeah so he takes her back to the plantation um so that as caroline assumes violet can suck the life out of her but that's not quite what the plan is caroline has been kidnapped and gagged and driven back to the plantation and this is where you know miss violet's going to have her way with her and caroline Mate, it now dawns on her that she's been a pawn in this all along, and she says the word, the chilling phrase here, it's not him, it's me. You want to sacrifice me. She finally figures it out, that she's the one they want to take the life from. Yes. Um, And further proof that she has absolutely bought in now, she manages to trick Papa Justify and the body of the lawyer into letting his guard down so she can run into her bedroom and when she runs into the bedroom there's still the line of red brick dust so he cannot get to her yeah she uses this red brick dust really well at the end she starts lining every part of the house and she escapes and she does so well you're rooting for her you think she's going to get away but there's one part in the where the chase like it's a it's a big long extended sequence right yeah, it, it keeps going. It's very, it's a very good scene, I think. I really do think the climax of this movie is very effective. Um, it's it's really well built, too, and you see all the knowledge that Caroline has obtained being put to use, and she's she's very resourceful, and she's doing everything that you should do in a horror movie, um, but everything she's doing is ultimately her demise, so that's sort of the tragedy of it. <laughs> There's one part of that that's especially heartbreaking, and I, I'll get into it right now. It's the very end of the movie, where the old people are after her, and Carolyn's lining chalk dust all over, and she's, you know, the scrappy young heroine. She's, it's, it's working. She's escaping, and then at one point, she even knocks Miss Violet over a railing down the stairs, which the stunt grandma really gets some uh, hazard pay on that one. Oh, yeah, and then... <laughs> Later on, there's a shot of her just slowly coming up in the elevator um, and then crawling up into the attic. And I don't know if you noticed, there was a shot of – there's like prosthetic legs yes. on her, and they're real gnarly. There's like bones sticking out and stuff. <laughs> so the so uh, Mama Cecile really needs a new body because the violet body is uh, is yeah. a little damaged. And you know, Carolyn doing damage to the violet body is only going to hurt her in the long run because that's her body. So – yeah, and there's a lot of, like, knockdown, drag-out fights between them. I was struck in the climax. I was like, we're watching Kate Hudson and Jenna Rollins, like, punch each other. And Jenna Rollins is running around with a shotgun yelling, Caroline. Yeah. Like, this is very absurd, but I'm really enjoying it. It's... Did, did Jenna Rollins back in the 70s think this was going to be her career arc? Um, You know, 
maybe so. Maybe this is really what she wanted to do the whole time. <laughs> and they just weren't making movies like The Skeleton Key in the 70s. Actually, they were, but I guess she wasn't. She didn't want to work for Roger Corman, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I would. good move on Jenna Rowland's part. But there's a couple of great yeah. visuals here at the end. And I always remember Mom or, uh, Miss Violet crawling around on the ground trying to get around the chalk dust. And it's in the shadows, and she can only crawl with her arms. And it's very reminiscent of another movie I've done on Staff Picks, which is Clash of the Titans with Medusa, where Medusa's crawling around in the shadows because she has a snake bot, a snake torso. It's just, it's very yeah. reminiscent of creepy Miss Violet crawling around in the shadows trying to get to the bad guys. Just, it looks like that to me. I just like that image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really gnarly. Like, like I said, the prosthetics and stuff. And Jenna Rollins is just having, like, a blast, I think. So that's, yeah, that's always fun to see people really enjoying, like, really playing up the villainous side of their character. Yeah, although I do have to put this disclaimer on that I don't recommend horror movies to people that are violent, super bloody and violent and stuff. And there's like no, like we're talking about how, how knockdown down drag out this fight is, but it's like, it's like cartoony. It's not especially gory or anything. It's just, it's an action movie at this point. Is this rated PG-13? I would, why don't you quickly look that up? I'm not entirely sure because it does not feel like an R-rated movie to me. Yeah, there's not a lot of swearing or anything, so I would assume, unless there's some sort of disclaimer like rated R for hoodoo magic or something. Um, Skeleton <laughs> key. It's rated PG-13, yeah, like I suspected. So, it's, yeah, it's not it's not gory or anything. It's a PG-13 horror movie, which is one of the nastiest horror movies I know. And it's especially why I cheered there. I have one of my listeners on Staff Picks is this Mormon mom, and she will not watch R-rated movies. And I've been hyping this movie up to her, and she's like, well, I can't watch it because it's R. That PG-13 is a game changer now. I can now recommend this to her. <laughs> she has no choice. She has been locked into my hoodoo trap. I've walked her into it. <laughs> Exactly. So in the midst of all this, Carolyn, you know, as if we don't we haven't been convinced that Carolyn believes Hoodoo is real, we actually get it in her own words. She calls her friend on the phone for help, Jill. She's like, Help, help me. It's real. It's all real. So Carolyn totally has bought into it now, and at this point she is, for lack of a better word, fucked. Okay, so here's the finale where Carolyn runs up to the attic, and again, this is the heartbreaking scene. This one really there's so many things that are just galling in what happens to poor Carolyn, but Carolyn runs up to the attic to escape the bad guys, and she sees a little pentagram, a little circle of candles, very similar to the one that the little kids were in when they were the night that the Papa Justify and Mama Cecile were lynched. And Carolyn runs into the middle of the circle, and she has a little spell, the spell called the Conjure of Protection. And she is she believes this spell will protect her from the bad guys, but all it does is it traps her inside a circle so they can kill her. <laughs> yeah. Like she's, she's since she hears Violet, Miss Violet coming. So very quickly, she, you know, slices her hand open, cuts off a piece of her hair. She does this whole spell where she draws three white chalk circles around herself under the impression that this is a protection against those people. And so when Violet comes up there and Caroline says, you can't, you can't get near me. You can't do anything to me. It's really satisfying when Mama Cecile in the body of Violet says, all you've done is kept yourself there. You can't leave. So she's she's been meddling in all this hoodoo and stuff, and she thought that she had a handle on it, but she was played. The minute you cast a hoodoo spell, you've crossed the line. Now you officially believe in it. Yeah, and you've, you've said as much. You've told her that you believe in it. 
and she gave you a spell that you thought would do one thing, but all it's done is trapped you exactly where they want you. It's, it's so terrible, this movie. And this is why it lodges in my head. And I, it, See, I, yeah. you, say, you said earlier that I keep gushing about this movie, and you think it could be better. There's things they could do better. I 100% agree with you. I think it could be done better. I just think the idea of this movie is so awesome that I can overlook some of the flaws because I just am amazed that this movie exists. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, For all the problems that I have with the movie that are maybe on a more macro level, I really do like the climax. I think it's really well set up, and this scene, of like the ending scene, is very effective. It's very creepy and... It's like, oh, it's a heart. It's like a gut punch. Like she did all this work. She worked so hard um, to protect herself. Caroline did, but all she did was like set a trap for herself, <laughs> where she's stuck and she can't do anything about it. To go back to my start of the podcast, she got Aaron Krugerd, which is the exact same plot line of Arlington Road. So I'm telling you, if people like this movie and you like how nasty this movie. Go watch Arlington Road and then go listen to one of my better Staff Picks episodes where we talk about it. Same deal. The protagonist does everything right and just screws himself at every scenario. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's that was sort of something that was happening in horror at the time, I think. There was a lot of – I think we were in that period of time with horror where there was – it was okay not to have a happy ending. And this one does not. This is the king of non-happy no. endings. Well, it's a Depending on whose side you're on, I guess. But yeah, it's not a happy yeah, ending. Not for Carolyn. Okay, that's that's a good point. Okay, so so here comes the end of the movie, the actual switch, where Miss Violet is crawling on the floor with two broken legs, and she's got this big floor, like a, what is it, floor-to-ceiling mirror, one of these big full-length mirrors? Yeah, like one of the, it's like the mirror in Beauty and the Beast, the one that <laughs> moves around, yeah. The evil version of that mirror. Exactly. And this is the mirror that will be used to switch the bodies. This is why there were no mirrors in the house, because mirrors are very powerful, if you know hoodoo. And Miss Violet says, we're ready for you now. And the record starts playing the Conjure of Sacrifice, that creepy Papa Justify record. And, and Kate Hudson's just trapped there in a little circle. She can't go anywhere. And Miss Violet says, you believe. We were waiting for you to believe, and now you believe. So thank you, child. And she pushes the mirror at Kate Hudson, and the record increases, and Kate Hudson screams, and oh boy. And just like that, it's a big crash, and everything happens. Yeah, the mirror she, the mirror runs into her and knocks her over, and then both her and Miss Violet just pass out. Although, remember the, the images in the mirror. I always forget that part. Yeah, so explain oh, that. Yes. So while she's doing the spell, the image in the mirror, at first it's flashing the face of the little child, um, the little girl, and then it's flashing the face of of Miss Violet, right? When she was younger, a younger Miss Violet. Yes, and then it shows the face of Mama Cecile, so it's all of the bodies that this spirit Mama Cecile has been in, and she's about Caroline's about to become the next one. Yeah. Carolyn is number four, and that's, that's the history of this movie. Yes. Mama Cecile jumped into the little white girl at the lynching, and then 40 years later they, they jumped into the owners of this house, a brother and sister, and now 40 years later she becomes Carolyn. So this is the fourth iteration of Mama Cecile. This is Cecile version 4.0. Exactly. Okay, so, yeah, the switch happens, and, and you don't know what happens at first. Carolyn's been hit by a mirror. All the candles go out. The record stops. And there's like a little period of confusion where everyone's laying on the ground. And this is where we get the great reveal where Carolyn stands up. And what happens, Will? How do, how do we learn that she has become Mama Cecile? 
Well, she casually strolls over to Miss Violet's body, and she picks out one of those long cigarettes, and she lights it, and she savors the new lungs that she has just inherited. <laughs> um, and she suddenly has a southern accent. And uh, so that's how we know that the body swap has happened. And Caroline is now in the body of a infirmed older woman with broken legs. That's the thing. Is, is it's been well established in this movie that Carolyn is very healthy living. She does not smoke. And Mama Cecile smoked. And Miss Violet smoked these really old black cigarettes, these long, thin ones. That's the first thing Carolyn does when she gets into her new body with her new lungs. She goes and picks up a cigarette and starts smoking it. And this is where uh, the lawyer comes over, who we now learn is Papa Justify. And, and Kate Hudson scolds him. She's like, I wanted a black body. I don't want this body. And he's like, well, you know, the black ones never stay. So as, as they get older, people are having a hard time believing in hoodoo. So they're getting slim pickings as they get older. Yeah, they have to work twice as hard to make people believe so that they can actually do it. And Mama Cecile even says, she's like, I hate that we have to rile them up. Like, she doesn't like to torture people. It sounds like, to your point, they're not really villains. She's like, I didn't like that we had to rile them up, but you kind of have to. Um, I think maybe it's more that she thinks it's too much trouble. Um, I think if I were making the movie, which is such a stupid thing to say, but if I were making the movie, I might do what you said, which is to imply that she doesn't enjoy it and that it's, it's sort of a necessary evil. But I think, to me, it just comes off as she... She thinks it's like a hassle. She's like, they used to be so much easier to get these people to just believe. Okay, I, I can buy that. Yeah. Which I guess, which I guess, when thinking about that line, it's really she's really only left bodies twice, so it's not like she has a lot of history with it. I suppose to know that it was easier one time, but regardless, yeah. And also in her old body with its physical limitations, it must have been very hard this time because Miss Violet's the oldest she's ever gotten. Yeah, I think that's implied. Or, or I don't know or how old the siblings were when they swapped bodies. They might have been around a similar age. And there's a great line here. I, I forget who says this. Is it the lawyer or Kate Hudson where he said – this? one of them says, that's the thing folks don't understand about sacrifice. Sometimes it's more like a trade. Oh, Kate Hudson says that. Well, she's staring down at Jenna Rollins. Just like gasping for air and looking bewildered. Yeah, and that's the the second part of this that I, is so horrible, is that they've done this body switch, and now you look down, and you see old Jenna Rollins, who is old, you know, overweight, probably horrible lungs after years of smoking, two horribly broken legs from the fight, and that's Kate Hudson now. Poor Carolyn is trapped in that body, and not only is she old now and all broken down, but she has also... There's some sort of silence spell that has come with us that she can't talk. She will never be able to explain to people what happened to her because they've cursed her tongue. Although there's a loophole there, she should be able to write it out on a piece of paper, right? Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, Ben, he's he's barely functional. Like he could he he would have a hard time writing things down. Um, I think also I think their remedies also are affecting them. And maybe making it harder for them to express themselves or write or anything. So I'm assuming that's just what's going to happen to Caroline in this older body. Yes, but that would involve Kate Hudson now going to the hospital almost every day and giving remedies to poor Jenna Rollins. Like, if you think about this logically, she's going to have to put in some work to make her make sure she can never talk. 
I mean, this is an older woman who was pushed <laughs> off a flight of stairs, and she has her legs poking out. I don't think her chances of living that much longer are good. I don't think she's going to have to worry about that. Like, that's the thing. She inflicted so much damage on this woman. Caroline inflicted so much damage on the body of Violet, and now it's her body. So it's like she self she self harmed. It's she did it to herself. We need to call in an actuary at this point because they can tell you on a chart how long this person will live. Old person who was about to die anyway and pushed downstairs. Do they have three days left to live or six? Please tell us on the chart. And they have bones sticking out <laughs> of their legs. So, <laughs> like, take the magic eight ball. Not looking good. Like. <laughs> <laughs> This is quite a departure from Jackie Brown. I'm glad you talked about this one, too. <laughs> so, okay, so let's go to one of the most horrible endings in movie history where Jenna Rollins is wheeled into the ambulance. The cops show up, and they take her paralyzed, infirm body into the ambulance. And then, you know, that's poor Carolyn trapped in this old woman's silenced body. And she just looks over, and there's Ben looking back at her, and they're both like, oh, you too? And so they the, the exact same thing has happened to both of them that – Papa Justify was uh, in Ben, and then he jumped into the young lawyer. So whoever the young lawyer is, Luke, is now in Ben's body, screaming at people to help him with his eyes. And that will now be Carolyn's future for the next three days to three weeks, however long she lives. And meanwhile, uh, Caroline's friend Jill um, has come because she got the call. Uh, and it seems that Mama Cecile is interested in perhaps trading bodies a little sooner than... <laughs> than usual i forgot about that that's funny in my in my mind i don't think it's going to work because <laughs> i think jill is kind of suave and onto it but yeah she's still she's still on the quest for a black body that she has not gotten yet yeah well jill yeah jill is trying to piece together she's like what happened are you okay carolyn and carolyn is no longer carolyn carolyn's now mama cecile so mama cecile has to kind of learn from jill's clues what their relationship is oh you're my roommate oh yeah Yes, yes. So it's that's actually a fun scene because so she comes in and they don't know who she is, and so Ben interjects and he's like, "Okay, well it's probably a good like I haven't met this person, so I'll introduce myself." And she'll say her name, and then when I when she says her name, Mama Cecile in the body of Caroline will take contact clues. Okay, so your name is Jill. You're my roommate. Like here's some platitudes about I like I'm fine now, something like that. So yeah, it's fun to watch them. It seems like something they've done before where they've had to have a conversation with somebody and pick up clues to figure out what their relationship is like. And so that is the end of the movie where Papa Justify and Mama Cecile live again. They have body switched for the fourth time and they were going to keep living forever as long as they can keep doing this. And they, uh, there's a little plot twist here where we learn that, Oh, Carolyn, she inherited the house. The old people loved her so much she inherited the house. So she's going to live there, and everything will just continue as before. And poor Carolyn, the sweethearted home health nurse, is carted off to die in paralysis. And oh my God, what a terrible movie. And so now we get into the discussion where you wanted to compare this to Get Out. Uh, okay, I'm going to start with a disclaimer just to say I haven't – like my thoughts about this – it's kind of, it's a big topic I think it's very on a macro level so if I don't express it well or well enough I would like I'll I apologize for that but I was saying I think this is an important midpoint movie between Candyman and Get Out and it's actually almost exactly the midpoint Candyman came out in 1992 
Get Out came out in 2017, and this came out in 2005. So there's like 12 or 13 year difference between the two. So in Candyman, the concept or the backstory of Candyman is that he was a slave at a plantation who was caught having a romance with a white woman. And so the people at the plantation killed him by covering him in honey and having bees attack him and, st st uh, and um, sting him to death. And one of the big – and I think that's mostly established in uh, Candyman 2 if I remember correctly. But one of the big themes of Candyman is that his power comes from people believing in him. And so when Virginia Madsen's character, this white woman, comes into the community where his – where the lore about him exists, she starts to disprove him. That's her goal is to disprove that it I don't know if that's exactly her goal, but she's going about to disprove that the Candyman is real and sort of analyze why this folklore exists. And because she's trying to diminish him, he has to amp up the violence because he wants to be sure that he's remembered because that's the only way he has power. So similarly in the skeleton key, you cannot be affected if you don't believe. So a lot of it is about making sure that the person that you're victimizing will believe in you. So that's a little bit of a tie between Candyman and this movie. And then in Get Out, we see a swap in terms of the perspective that we're watching the movie from. So whereas in Candyman, it is a uh, – I don't remember if he was a slave or if he was a servant actually when I think about it. But it's a man who was killed by a white mob who is now – a folklore figure in a black community. He's killing anybody who will say his name in the mirror three times. In Get Out, we sort of have swapped from the body the body swapping of Skeleton Key, which is these two black servants have swapped into white bodies. So, in, so the black servants are the villains for all intents and purposes. And there is an underlying sort of racial theme happening in the skeleton key that I just don't think we were engaging with in 2005 and maybe the filmmakers were not equipped to do. I mean, it's kind of crazy that the director of this movie, he made like hackers and wings of the dove and K-Pax. Wow. Yeah. So he made, so before this movie, he made another movie about a predatory um, monster preying on the youth um, shout out to anybody who understood that joke. Um, so what was I saying? <sighs> Sorry, this is hard to explain. I was going to say, if it's okay, just, just remember that Papa Justify has cast a tongue-tying spell on poor Will here. So Will's doing his best. Yeah, it's just like a sensitive, it's a sensitive issue. Like you're going back to the people that were saying that this is a racist movie. And I'm trying to, what I'm trying to express is that I don't think it was there was a racist intention. I just don't think there was a thought of the of the intention. I think were this to be made today, I mean, so we're comparing it to Get Out. So Get Out is more about white appropriation of black culture. So it's all these wealthy white people who are possessing these black people. So they're sort of so they're 
we're very much watching it from their perspective. Oh my God. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Okay. I will, let me sum up one thing. I think what you're trying to say is that get out. They're trying to make a bigger statement about how black people fare in white society, how they're treated like, you know, mascots or tokens and, you know, white appropriation will take their culture. This movie makes no attempt to delve into any of that. They just treat the voodoo as a plot device and the hoodoo as a plot device. And that it's just black people that have come up with this crazy spell and they're doing creepy things with it. And there's no bigger point to that that maybe Get Out is trying to do. Yes, and I think – thank you for <laughs> helping me put this into words. I think what I found interesting and frustrating about the skeleton key is that there's times where like it's on the periphery. They're almost engaging with some of the material that they're doing. There's almost something happening about – there's almost a message coming through about them jumping into these white bodies and maybe a theme of like the most extreme reparations in the world or something like that. But they're never quite sure how what they're saying about it. I think the fact that she's always saying, I wanted a black body this time. So immediately we know that they are okay with preying on black people and swapping and sacrificing black people. Whereas I think it would be more interesting if we knew more about their life on the plantation and maybe we had a, an understanding of why they were body swapping and that maybe they were just going against white people because of like revenge or just because they see that there's a better life in that. Um, gosh, I don't know how to say this, but yeah, that's just trying to answer to the claim that it's racist. I think there is deeper themes that could have been engaged with, but at the end of the day, this is like a – it's a 2005 slasher horror movie, um, so they weren't quite ready to engage with it. But I guess they too long didn't read it <laughs> of what I'm trying to say is that I think this movie is interesting in watching how issues of race and folklore and belief changed. And who we're allowing to tell those stories. So we go from Candyman to Skeleton Key to Get Out. They're all thematically very similar in some ways, but it's just the perspective that we're watching the movies from is more nuanced. And if this movie were be, to be made today, we would have a better understanding of Papa Justify and Mama Cecile. They would be more characters than they are in this movie in terms of just like we would understand a little bit more of their history and their their backstory, and like I said before, going back to that flashback, we would have had a greater sense of why they were performing this ritual at this time, and maybe we would get an idea of something was happening that was a ticking clock or something that means that they needed to swap bodies because something was going to happen to them, if you know what I mean. So that's so that's all I was really inelegantly trying to <laughs> trying to say is that. <laughs> What I appreciate about this movie, other than the fact that I think it's a very effective horror movie, is that it's a time capsule, and it's something interesting to compare other movies against, if that makes sense. No, that was very well said. I know you <laughs> – I could hear you struggling with that, but I thought you were making a good point. My my thoughts on that is I agree with everything you just said, other than I just a little add a little asterisk in that. I have no problem with the skeleton key, and like – if they were to add all that other stuff into the story, it becomes a different movie, which maybe that's a better movie. Maybe it's a worse one. I don't know. It'd just be a different storyline. 
Like, what I appreciate about this one is that it just concentrates on creeping you out. There's no bigger picture. Yes. And I can see some people may want it to go to a higher place and more talk about be better themes. But, like, I, as a straight horror movie, this is one of the creepiest movies I have ever seen. So, again, it's two hours long. There's a lot going on in it. And I admit, it would be probably a better but different movie had they done all that. And now we lead into the second part of what I was going to say. I will never say this about most movies, but this movie could really use a sequel or a prequel even. And I think it would really flesh out these characters a little better. And you could go into the you know, the expanded universe of Papa Justify and Mama Cecile, because I think they could warrant a full movie on their own. Yeah, actually, that is a good point. I think a prequel would be, I mean, I usually hate prequels, but I think there is a lot of rich stuff that they could investigate with the prequel and i thought those actors like they they don't speak really but they're very striking looking actors and you can tell that they have a presence so that would that would be interesting i think that would solve a lot of again i don't think there's a lot of problems in this movie some people may think there are some don't but any problems you may see in this movie would be solved by a prequel or something like that. And I will admit, I would be the first one in line for that movie. I would love to see more about Papa Justify and Mama Cecile because, like you said, there's a lot of themes you could really go into. Again, like you said, the uh, – what did you say? <laughs> there was one phrase you used in particular about the ultimate reparations. Oh, yeah. It's like the – yeah, that's the last thing I, I wrote in my notes is like this is like this could be the story of like the most extreme reparations in history, but it doesn't quite go there. But, yeah, that's that's kind of yeah, what I, was I mean, saying. that's not a horror movie at that point, because now you're kind of rooting for them. But I I would love to see that. And I it's one of the great tragedies that this movie was not a bigger hit and is not more well known that I don't know if you could justify to use the word justify. I don't know if you could justify throwing more money at a sequel or a prequel, but I really do think this movie warrants that kind of attention. It's such an interesting movie, and I cannot think of any other horror movie from that time period that I'm really as high on. I really just like everything about this one. But like you said, there are other avenues you could go with it, and they're sitting right there if anybody wants to make a movie out of it. And again, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. But maybe someday someone will, and I'll be very happy. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to make it sound like I don't like this movie because I really do, and I think it's really effective. And what what you were saying that I do like about it is it's very bare bones, mm -hmm. um, whereas there's not like they're not trying to do too much. They're very committed to this is our hor this is our movie. We're we're moving really quickly through it. We're not going to waste time. We're not going to make you wait for a good moment. It's 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 fleet and lean, and it's like set piece to set piece to set piece, like horror action, horror action. It's really, I really like enjoy the pacing of the movie. Um, and so when you were saying what I was saying about some of the themes that are almost in the movie, they're sort of on the periphery, like out of the corner of your eye, you can see there's something over here that maybe people aren't noticing. That would be a different movie. And I think maybe from our 2019 perspective, we would say it'd be a more responsible movie, I suppose. Um, but, I mean, that's all up to interpretation. I would just say, for me, this is just a time capsule, and it's really interesting to watch it from that perspective. And if you're not looking at a grander macro level of what the movie is doing, it really is just an effective, simple uh, mm -hmm. thriller. And that's actually... I think that's harder to make than we 
give movie than we sometimes give credit for. I think it's very hard to make a fleet thriller that just keeps moving. Um, but I don't think people get the respect they deserve for being able to do that. Yeah, it's a it's one of the ultimate gotcha movies where it's got such a fantastic twist ending and it's set up so well. And that's the thing. I, I don't like that word responsible because it implies this one is irresponsible, but I know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. is it, should you be using hoodoo and slave magic as a horror movie? That's not really my place to say. If you're going to just say, yeah, people are, it's okay if they use that in a movie, this is about the best movie you're going to get out of that, I think. Horror movie. Yeah, and I, I don't think, there's nothing, I would never say that you can't do anything. I I think you can, there's, you can do pretty much anything if you have the right take on it. Um, and I think, to defend the movie a little bit, I think they they have a take on it that is interesting that they're semi-engaging with. Um, and I think maybe that's just, that's just what we were doing in 2005. And if they were to make this in 2019, it would be a different movie, but to, it would be a different movie. And maybe they would engage with those themes a little bit more, but um, you know, as a 2005 movie, it's, it's still very effective. It's it's interesting you use that word engaging because I was just listening to like the DVD commentary today and some of the director's thoughts, and he is quite adamant that he is engaging in those themes. So it's like a kind of a 2005 mindset. He's like, it was very important to me that I show the barbaricness and the horrificness of these lynchings and the life of black people back in the so so like he thought he was engaging in those themes, and I think that's really more to the point you made about this being a time capsule. That that's that's what he thought was engaging, and that's not what you would see at the as it now, but. Again, it is what it is. Yeah, I think that that would maybe be my biggest problem is that maybe he thinks he's doing something that he isn't, which would imply to me that there's not enough people involved in the production that maybe understand what the culture that he's trying to depict. Um, but that's where we were in 2005. And, you know, I get I mean, I would assume that he was a director for hire on this movie. It doesn't. Based on his filmography, it doesn't seem like he has a particular type of movie that he gravitates to, but it's, I think it's well-directed. It's very creepy, so I will, I will give him that. Maybe he didn't quite do the themes that he thought he was doing, but um, at the end of the day, it's, it's still very well-directed, I think. All I will say is that I saw this movie the first time, and it never left my head. And it's been like five years now. Mm -hmm. It still yeah. has not left my head, and this is one I am forever – recommending to people just because I want in, I want the world to know about this movie. I just think it's so much more interesting than most horror movies. So that's that's my extent with it. That's why, again, it's on Staff Picks. And I know, we could talk about this for hours. I know I don't want to make this a three-hour podcast, but any, anything else you want to add? I know you have more stuff. What else you got? Well, I was just going to say, like, like you were saying, it's very interesting to discuss, like, how many horror movies from the mid-2000s would you have, like, a complicated discussion about racial depictions and the body swapping mm -hmm. and hoodoo there's a lot going on in this movie that makes it interesting to discuss so and i think if you look back at like the horror movies that we were making at that time a lot of them there's nothing to say like <laughs> you for, you already forgot about them they were junk um but there's more going on in this one and i think like you it has stuck with me and i think about kate hudson screaming like i don't believe all the time it's just an, as the mirror rushes towards her, it's an image that will stay with you. How how dare you imply there's not three hours of discussion to be had on Freddy versus Jason? Oh boy. Well, there is there's some 
I don't know, Vlad, there's some words that they throw around in Freddy versus Jason, and it's like, ooh, you would not get away with that today. Anything else you want to add about uh, the skeleton key here? I, I, I think I've exhausted all eight pages of my notes. And I should point out, I usually have four pages or less for most movies. This one, I was up into the eight pages. So there was a, there's so much going on in this movie. It's really, it just needs to be better known than it is. That's all I have to say. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it deserves to be reevaluated, I think. Um, I think people would be surprised at how much they like it if they go back and watch it. It's very – and I we didn't discuss this much, but I think the acting is pretty good across the board. Um, I might have some qualms with Peter Sarsgaard a little bit. I think he might be overdoing it just a tad. But Kate Hudson and Jenna Rollins are very good in this movie. Yeah, Jenna Rollins really should be remembered as one of the great horror, scary old women and villains. I mean, she's she is fantastic in this, and it's all it it just almost breaks my heart that people don't like put her in the category of all these great horror moms, like the mom and Carrie and stuff like that. Like you should remember Jenna Rowland. She's really good in this and creepy. Yeah, you could have like a bridge club. It's her. It's Mrs. White. It's like Baby Jane. <laughs> they all get together and they. So they just bitch and have a good time. That's a, See, there's the prequel that we could have. Miss Violet makes up a nice gumbo for everybody. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to sign off here. Anything else you want to add about the skeleton key? Again, I just I really appreciate you coming on, and you, you provide a very good perspective on a lot of these movies. You come in so prepared, and you have so many ideas. I can, all, I can tell you have even more notes than I do, I bet. So I, just, I really appreciate your preparation for these episodes. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you asking me to be on. Um, I hope I expressed what I was trying to say effectively is what I would what I would say, because I think there's a lot of things to say about this movie. But I appreciate you entrusting me with being the one to engage with you on it. It's interesting. There's certain hosts I bring on for the tricky movies, and so you are in the top tier now. So I will promise if I bring you back a third time, it'll be for something simple, like the Jackass movie or something like that. Oh, there you go. I'll have to think about that. Think about, like, what's a really crappy movie? We could do a Battleship episode. I love Battleships. <laughs> the, the Transformers, like Transformers 4. Let's just pick a random one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Battleship, you have Rihanna, and she's punching aliens. There, people need to watch Battleship. There is a real-life combat veteran in that movie who has a prosthetic leg, and there's a scene where he's punching an alien like in a boxing like having a boxing match with an alien that movie has everything but that's not really what no. we were talking about <laughs> i disavow that recommendation <laughs> that is not staff picks endorsed have you seen battleship i have not and i probably will not <laughs> see there you go you, you don't know you you can't know you're setting me up this is a trap like miss violet you're walking me into a trap yeah i drew you drew the circles around you and now it's just like you have to watch Battleship. You have to watch the scene where they actually play Battleship using radar pings. <laughs> Damn it, Will Holston, I believed in you. I believed in you, and now you got me. Yeah, apologies to everyone for the Battleship. <laughs> we're, it's like we're trying to end the episode, and we're trapped. We can't, we can't end it. We just keep going. My worst nightmare is when I have a two-hour episode to try to edit down. And this one, like, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I don't know how I'm going to edit it. So I'm very excited to see how it's going to turn out. So, again, thank you, Will, for giving me a lot of content to work with. Well, yeah, apologies if I was kind of all over the place. But thank you for having me once again. 
I want to thank everyone for listening. Again, this is I'm Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time, I'll be out there looking for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Thank you for joining me for October for Horror Month, and I will have another one coming out relatively soon. Stay scared, and I'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye. Things folks don't understand about sacrifice. Sometimes it's more of a trade.